0: Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we have spent time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders.
1: Thanks, Ruth. And I want to let you know, we appreciate the great response we've had to the first four seasons of the podcast. And we would love to bring more seasons and expand what we're doing with the podcast. But all those things take financial resources. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com and searching for Strengthening the Soul of your leadership podcast.
0: Steve, what is Patreon? I don't even know what that is. Oh
1: my gosh, you're such a bit. <laughs> I know,
0: just enlighten me, please.
1: Patreon is a great way that people who listen to you and who love the Ministry of Transforming Center and who've gotten things out of this podcast to be able to give $2 a month, $5 a month or more. And they get, they get bonus content from you, Ruth, that no one else gets. <laughs> Exclusive Wonderful. bonus content content there's
0: no downside to that is there, there is no, no downside. downside
1: so go to patreon.com everybody search for ruth haley barton or strengthen the soul of your leadership podcast and please join us by becoming a monthly patron here we are episode six rest for the mind and i love how slowly we're going through this mm-hmm. story i mean really yeah. like elijah is just still taking mm-hmm. naps right. essentially mm-hmm. at this yes. point <laughs> that's all but yes he's otherwise
0: the journey will be too much for <laughs> right. him and the so, angel like, says
1: th- there's this beauty mm-hmm. to that it takes time there's no way to fast forward or microwave yourself through the growth that solitude needs to do and elijah teaches that big teaches us that big time so uh he got at least some rest for his body uh, when he slept twice he ate some food got some drink Uh, But how do you think he even started to find rest for his mind in the midst of being hunted by Jezebel and feeling very real fear?
0: Right. Well, it says that he got up after he had done this resting and he goes on the strength of that food and that drink for 40 days and 40 nights until he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he uh, finds a cave and he enters a cave and i've always thought of the cave as being a metaphor for the soul i mean i think it was a literal cave but i also think that it was a metaphor for that deep inside place Um, the old testament equivalent to the closet that jesus Mm -hmm. talks about in the new testament when you pray go into your closet well it's not a literal closet it's that very inner place that no one else can access except us and god and so elijah arrives at the cave so he's now in touch with his soul a little bit more and god addresses him with a question which is really interesting because you know god could have given him instructions or given him perspectives or insights or all sorts of things but instead he he asked him a question and and the question is what are you doing here elijah and i think the questions that we ask ourselves are so important in the spiritual life or the questions we're are willing to allow god to address us with And so you could have answered this question one of several ways. He could have gone sort of lighthearted and superficial. Oh, I'm just out on a walk. I just needed a little (laughs) breath of fresh air. Um, But instead, Elijah decides to make it real and keep it real. And so he goes to the bottom of his truth. And he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. And the people of Israel are now running around, tearing down your altars and killing your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they're seeking my life to take it away. And I find this passage to be this opportunity to begin resting with what's true. Rather than trying to fix anything, Mm. Elijah is able to just put it all out there. Um, And that that is a great deal of rest for both mind and soul. And back to Psalm 131, the ability to stop trying to figure stuff out. You know, I'm not occupying my mind with things too great and too marvelous for me. In other words, too complicated. So I don't have any answers. I'm not even trying to seek answers right now, but I'm just telling you the truth. And this is a place of rest for the mind where we stop working so hard, trying to figure things out. And we trust that what most needs to be given, God will give in God's time and in in God's way. So I think we're beginning to see Elijah just willing to put it out there, but he's not even trying to find his own solutions at this point, which is a very restful thing for us leader types who are always trying to figure stuff out, always trying to fix things, always trying to categorize things, always trying to figure out what our next steps are going to be. If we can cultivate solitude as a place of rest for the mind where we don't have to think stuff through, but we can just be with what is, we rest the mind and then God comes through when it's time, you know?
1: I hear you drawing a real clear distinction between naming it over and over again and worrying mm-hmm. about it and having it just, mm-hmm. you know, that's the saying what it is, but saying mm-hmm. what, it, yeah. what it is so many times that you think that's going to solve it versus... Mm-hmm. Just having a sort of sober, hey, th- this is what reality mm-hmm. is. I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, Here we are.
0: Right. And holding it in God's presence. I mean, that's that's what solitude right. is for, too, is that we are literally bringing it to God. We are bringing it into God's presence, trusting that God will meet us, you know, there in the right time and in the right way, which he does. Yeah. Which he does. Oh, man.
1: Uh, what are the limitations of the mind as it relates to experiencing union with god in this cave wilderness place
0: yeah well sometimes i think about the difference between knowing about a person and actually having sat down and had coffee with a person Mm -hmm. um so i have some heroes in my own you know faith so someone like martin luther king jr or someone like that i've read all i've read i read his sermons i've read biographies i've watched documentaries So I can say that I know a lot about him, but I've never had an encounter with him. Mm. I never got to be across the table from him. I never got to be at one of his rallies. I never got to be in his presence. I never got to experience him. And I think it's the same with God, that knowing about God is not the same thing as experiencing God and having one of those encounters that changes you utterly. And there is just a really big difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone and experiencing them for who they are. So the mind can help us with learning about somebody, in this case God, but the mind can't can't give us the experience, that life-changing experience, that life-changing encounter.
1: What you're saying is, on, on the one level, so obvious, mm-hmm. but on another level I can hear someone almost mm-hmm. going like, wait a minute, there's more than the mind? Like,
0: what? Well, it represents a huge shift, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, For many of us, again, Protestant evangelicals, um, I think the Catholics are a little bit more sacramental in their faith and a little bit more open to the experience of things built in to their practice than we are. I think we've often thought of theology and dogma and knowing about God as being almost an end in itself, but it's not. Um, because we all know people who have known a lot about God and have theological degrees and things like that, but they don't know how to be intimate. They don't know how to give up their selfishness. They're still self-absorbed and arrogant. I mean, we've all known people like that. so so knowledge doesn't change us. Knowledge doesn't knowledge is not the same thing as intimacy. And solitude and silence is definitely an invitation to encounter yes. and intimacy,
1: which is, and inviting us into mystery and paradox, and right. and the you talked about God in an earlier uh, episode as being so much bigger than mm-hmm. anything we could ever think right. or say, and this experience that Elijah is having and is about to have—that's that's what he's about mm-hmm. to see. Right. It. Uh, I'm remembering now. Richard Rohr says that the mind prefers binary thinking. Mm-hmm. So anytime we encounter something new that we've never have, it's either good or bad, mm-hmm. up or down, black or white. And um, talk about how um, rest for the mind mm-hmm. helps us move past the dualisms and yeah. the bifurcated thinking that, that really limits us.
0: Yes. Because what I'm not saying is that the mind is less... No, than no, no, anything no, no. it's just um yeah. it's it just doesn't always give us the encounter that we're looking for so the way henry nowen talks about it i find to be very helpful where he talks about allowing the mind to rest into the heart oh. that you're not dismissing the mind you're not saying it's unimportant you're not denigrating it in any way you're not dismissing it you're not cutting off from it you're just saying, thank you very much. You know, you served me really well, thinking so hard all the time about everything. Now mind, I'm mm-hmm. inviting you to rest. And yeah. you're inviting the mind to rest into the deeper place, which is the heart or the soul. And I tend to use those two words somewhat interchangeably. So you're allowing the mind to stop working so hard so that you can rest in the experience, rest in the reality of who God is. So Roar in his book, um, Everything Belongs, also uses the metaphor of the moonlight. And says that there's a difference between understanding how moonlight works, you know, how it reflects off the sun and all that. And just sitting in the light of the moon, letting it illuminate everything around you. That one is a thought and the other one is an experience, right? Mm -hmm. And so our words about God and our thoughts about God and our theological systems to try to categorize God and make sense of it all. um, that's, That's like thinking about the moon and it's Mm -hmm. not the same thing as just experiencing the beauty of everything Mm -hmm. in the light of the moon and so in solitude and silence we're actually experiencing the beauty of the light of god and how it illuminates everything in our path
1: i'm just picturing a a, just a gradual letting go Mm -hmm. right yeah and there's um there's a fear and then there's a
0: oh (sighs) yeah uh
1: in your book uh in this chapter you write this we might notice the ways our wordy prayers keep us working at things in our head rather than allowing our mind to rest in god's heart of love where god's good intentions toward us can make themselves known and i would suspect that many of us uh we know how to keep working things in our heads i know i do but can we get tangible now Mm -hmm. how do we start to put our minds at rest Mm
0: -hmm. well um we've already been practicing it a little bit um as i said we we let the mind stop its hard work and we sit open and receptive allowing god to take the initiative and when thoughts do come we let them just float on by like like boats on a river or like clouds in the sky we do notice them they are real but we don't try to jump on the boat. We don't try to wrestle with anything. We just notice them and let them go and trust that God is at work beneath the level of our thinking and that God will continue to be at work and that there are things that can't be figured out in in those thinking kind of ways anyway, but that those things that we're wrestling with, the answer will be given to us as a sheer gift of grace by God through his spirit when God is ready for us to know these things. That there are certain things In our lives that we listen for god but we can't force god at all um, to give us the answers that we're looking for and that we're not even always ready for the answers we think we're ready for anyway that god is very good to us and that god knows what we can really take in our lives so um it's a it's a good practice for us to be able to trust ourselves to god and to sit with god in such a way that we're trusting god to be the active agent in the relationship And then at the same time we're also trusting god's timing and knowing that god will give us what we can handle when god knows we can handle it so jesus makes that promise that the holy spirit will guide us into truth as we're able to bear it well when we rest the mind we we trust that that's actually true that maybe there are some things we're not knowing right now because our minds wouldn't be able to bear it you know but we will know them when it's time and when god knows that we're ready and so there's a deep kind of trust to let the mind stop working so hard and to just be open and receptive to what God gives when God chooses to give it. And that's, that is a very restful way of being in God's presence rather than always clinging and grasping and trying to take things from God, but instead being open and receptive.
1: A restful way of being in God's Mm -hmm. presence. And I wonder how many people listening would say, okay, when I am intentional about being in God's presence, is it restful Mm -hmm. or is it am I working hard? Mm -hmm. And would you say if, if people are working hard, then they're, then they're staying in the mind. Is, is is that one of the,
0: well, can we, maybe let's take it down to the relationship between either two best friends or a married couple or whatever. That's good. And there's this intentionality that causes you to set aside the time to be together, to talk and to visit and all that that's the intention Mm -hmm. um when you get together it doesn't often it doesn't feel like hard work Mm -hmm. it can feel like enjoyment it can feel like um giving that person your best attention because you want to Mm -hmm. um now sometimes it's work we know that there are certain kinds of conversations that can be more effortful but um in a good friendship or in a good marriage the being together has a certain ease to it um, but the intentionality is just that you're giving each other your best attention right now, rather than allowing yourself to be pulled in a million directions. And that's the beauty of it. And, and in a comfortable friendship or a comfortable marriage, um, that being together is really satisfying. You don't need, doesn't even really always matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the being together that is satisfying and that continues to give you experiences with each other
1: i totally agree and i also think that for for many of us maybe we're not at that comfortable mm-hmm. you know it's like so like, we don't know what it's like, like to be comfortable
0: with another being yeah yeah, yeah. like uh, mm-hmm.
1: i mean um and so even that is like this learning curve mm-hmm. and i think that's why i love back to psalm 131 mm-hmm. that that really helps me mm-hmm. that helps me to go to god's desire is
0: just to be with
1: presence mm-hmm. and again this is why let's not get too wordy Let's focus on mm-hmm. just our breath and our being anxiety. Yeah. And the other reason why I sort of hammer that home is because I really do think for many of us, we're just beginners.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know and maybe always God will and be and you always, know maybe will, always yeah. will be caught up as yeah. we are in all oh the human my. dynamics of our life.
1: Um, can you share a story of a time that you actually felt release from the pressure of having to figure something out in your mind? Uh, and you could actually rest in God Mm -hmm. and said maybe it was was a ministry decision or a relational conflict?
0: Well, I remember a time in my early life as a writer when I was writing Equal to the Task, which was one of my early writings. And I had been working really hard on getting my theological position on paper and all that sort of thing. And I had written about five chapters, and I thought, well, I'm going to go away for a bit of retreat time and read the whole thing through and see how it sounds, see if I like it. So I scheduled a day, a 9-4 to day at a retreat center, and I took this half of a manuscript and spent the morning reading it, and I hated it. Oh, my (laughs) goodness, I hated it. It was angry, it was strident, it was not helpful, it was really weighted towards, you know, my own experience of things as a woman, it didn't give any credence or honor to experiences that men might have and so that was really shocking cuz i was completely i was under contract the book was already being publicized i was weeks away from a deadline it was just a horrible thing and i i was just flattened by this awareness mm. that this was not publishable it was not a worthy contribution at all so not i knew enough about solitude and silence that i knew this part about how to rest with something and not fight with something so after lunch i literally just laid on the bed I just laid on the bed and uh, with just my whole self open to the Lord saying, what in the world am I supposed to do here? This was really complicated. Um, and somewhere along the way, maybe around two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that, I began to, and all I, 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 I don't wanna to jump to the solution yet because I did exactly what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. I realized there was no answer. I had no answer. I was not going to come up with any answer whatever was going to be given was going to have to be given by God. And so I just la- really literally laid there open before the Lord. And um, somewhere along the way in the afternoon, this idea came, which I absolutely believe was from God. Um, and the, the idea was, you know what, Ruth, you need to set this aside for a while and just spend a couple months interviewing some of the men in your life to get their perspective on things. You know, you are angry. Um, this book does have kind of a sharp tone to it. So do you trust me enough to set this aside, to tell your publisher that it's going to be late, that you need to set this aside and do some conversations with some of the men in your life, which I did. Um, And I had to trust God really deeply with a solution that wouldn't have been mine. Like Mm -hmm. I would have never thought my way into that kind of a solution. I believe it was God really giving me guidance. And so that's what I did. I took a couple months Mm -hmm. off and I set up a series of interviews with men in my life, men from college, coworkers, um, anybody I could think of, really. And my determination was I was just going to listen to them. I wasn't going to give my point of view. I was just going to ask them some questions that would help me to get inside their experience. And um, that's what I did for a couple months. And then I wrote a sixth chapter and sent six chapters into the editor. And my editor said, well, I don't really like the first five chapters, but I really like the sixth one.
1: Uh Yeah. Uh And so
0: God had really done a work in me through you know that break that I had taken and it it took the courage to just lay there with that problem just laid out before the Lord it took courage to actually say yes to this to the solution that God brought um and to let that change me and so it's not anything I don't think a human being would have chosen on their own because it would have been the greatest temptation is to just keep pushing through and finish the thing and just send in what you have period just Mm -hmm. to meet the deadline Mm -hmm. but who knows what it would have been if i had done that so i have had real experiences of having to just lay it out there and stop working and i mean so i probably dozed and fell asleep Mm -hmm. here i am in the midst of a real crisis yeah but i'm sleeping and i'm resting and i'm just leaving it open and then god eventually comes with what only god could bring Thank you
1: so much for that very real, tangible mm-hmm. thing that we can all relate to on one level or another. And um, because I think, you know, I'm imagining calling my publisher and saying mm-hmm. it would be late. Mm-hmm. How was that? How did they was, respond? Yeah. And was it as bad as you thought? Better than you thought? How how they responded? Do you even remember?
0: I do. Oh, yeah. Um, um, my editor was very gracious and just accepted this as what was needed. And I'm and I'm grateful for that. I've I've often joked about the fact that if I didn't have the kind of editor I've had all these years, that I probably would have, you know, curled up in a ball and never written a thing. Because when this sort of thing happens, an editor's going to have a choice. You can either push your author beyond what they're able to actually do, or you can accept it. And and they too have to trust God. Mm-hmm. She had to trust God with the project and with what God was doing in my life, and she did, and didn't put pressure on me, which gave me the freedom to write a better book, you know.
1: And even that's this learning, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's okay.
0: And nobody even remembers whether it was (laughs) on time now, you know, it was the worst thing that could have happened then, but now no one cares. So, you know, but, but, you know, I didn't put a book out there that really shouldn't have been put out there. So thank God for that.
1: But I also think, um, I think, you know, this, so you were writing about women in ministry Mm -hmm. and men and women together something you feel still mm-hmm. great passion yeah. about in this stridency mm-hmm. that you noticed and anger. Um, w- there's a sense in which I can see someone feeling sort of righteously um, right about having some anger. Mm-hmm. I should be mad. Mm-hmm. It should have some edge. Was it hard to sort of... Let that go, or was it like, oh, clearly I have to let that go. I mean, mm-hmm. you said you hate it. It was, like, was humbling. It, yeah. I mean,
0: it was humbling because I thought I was over it. Yeah, yeah. I thought that I'd come farther than I had, um, and I thought I thought that I was writing from a more objective place, and to have to see myself reflected in the mirror of this manuscript, and to see that I hadn't come as far as I had thought I had come, and that I was still that person, was so humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it and at the same time, it 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 really felt good to be able to let go and, and enter into some sort of something new, something yes. that got me really unstuck. And it was a turning point, yeah. not just for the book, but it was a turning point for me. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of my own experience of these things.
1: So the book was project a, but project mm-hmm. B was, was maybe the transformation bigger, yeah. of Ruth
0: Haley Barton. So that's, <laughs> and that is no small project.
1: so Um, Well, do you have a practice you would please lead us through?
0: Yes, yes, I do. Oh, well, let's take our three breaths because that is just so important. See, we're learning together how to breathe. Isn't that great? So these long breaths, inhale all the way. Maybe hold it on the inhale. Now let it go into a big exhale. Notice how the tension just begins to leave your body. Maybe notice the gratitude that you feel for actually having breath. Notice that on the exhale, maybe now you're getting better and better at just releasing stress and tension. And notice how the breathing helps you to be present in this moment. You can't be thinking about a whole lot of other things when you're just breathing and paying attention to breathing. So now I would invite you to allow to come into your consciousness something that you need to know in the stillness that you haven't been able to know in the noisiness and the busyness of your life. Some question, some issue, some mystery. You've tried really hard to know it and to figure it out cognitively, but it's just not coming that way. What is the I don't know place in your life that no amount of thinking and wordiness has been able able to touch, with any kind of answer. And allow it to come fully into your consciousness and to just hold it in God's presence. Maybe say it out loud. Maybe tell God how it feels to not have an answer. How confusing, how frustrating. But resist the urge to try to grasp at an answer. Allow any related issues and concerns and thoughts to present themselves, but don't dwell on them. Just let them float by like the boat on the river, like the cloud in the sky, and just keep your question before God. And hear this statement from the poet Rilke. Many of you have heard this, but let's hear it again in relation to the question that you're holding right now. He says, be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them and the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually without noticing it live along some distant day into the answer. So as you hold your question before the Lord without trying to fix it or solve it, can you be patient with this thing that is unsolved in your heart? Can you rest with your question in God's presence? What does it look like and feel like to stop working so hard at this thing? And can you even love the question, be curious about it and wonder about it, but not have to fix it so fast today. And say to the mind, thank you so much for all your hard work, but right now we're just going to rest with this thing. We're just going to drop into the deeper place of the heart and just rest there with the question. In silence our souls wait for you and you alone, O God. From you alone comes our salvation. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from and we are grateful you spent the last 30 minutes with us.
1: If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, Maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation. I was a part of Transforming Community number no. 6 way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. Transforming Community is a practice-based spiritual formation journey with nine quarterly retreats. The Transforming Community is designed to integrate your spirituality and leadership helping you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we would love to hear from you, and there are three ways that you can respond. One is going to patreon.com, search for Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, and you can become a monthly patron at various levels. Second, is that you can share your favorite episode with friends. And third, is you can go onto iTunes and leave a rating and review. To find out more about the Transforming Community Experience or to apply, go to transformingcenter.org. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.